and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the co-founder of TBH Skincare, Rachel Tyers. If you have any interest in marketing whatsoever, beauty or otherwise, the TBH Skincare case study is one worth listening to. In 2019, Rachel Tyers was working in marketing for a B2B company that sold medical devices. It was during this time that Rachel was made aware of a patented topical skincare lab sample and, having struggled with acne for the better part of a decade, decided it was worth trying. Rachel read studies, she learned the science behind the formula and saw real results in her own skin. So she and her mother brainstormed ways to raise capital and pitched for the rights to the product. That patented acne solution was then formulated into TBH Skincare's first product, Acne Hack. TBH Skincare launched online in March 2020, and within a month, the brand had hit 10k in sales despite the bulk of the country plunging into lockdown. Rachel had belief in the TBH science and was aware that the brand's marketing strategy would be make or break in terms of cutting through the heavily saturated skincare space online. So she persisted in implementing a number of marketing devices to get the product into the right hands. She sought influencer collaborations from people she genuinely felt her product could help She began selling bundled products to increase basket size and she seeded samples out to consumers so that she had a bank of real before and after photos to advertise with. Within 18 months, TBH Skincare had hit almost $1 million in sales. Beyond that marketing strategy, what I found sets Rachel apart is that she's entered the beauty space with a personal need for the product – Rather than entering the sphere wanting to create a brand and go from there, Rachel had identified a problem that she had spent her whole adult life struggling with, discovered a solution, and wanted to make that solution available to others. In this conversation, Rachel shares how she made a digitally native lockdown launch work in her favour, the art of meaningful collaboration and how to do it well, and why it's sometimes worth slowing down the rate of product release. There is, of course, so much that I want to cover with you, but I would love to start right at the very beginning. So what is your very earliest memory of beauty? Um. I actually was thinking about this and it's hilarious because these stores don't even exist anymore. But um, do you remember those stores called Gloss? I would shop in them all the time, but it was like when I was 10, like ages ago. And I feel like that was my first memory of actually like going into a store and like consuming beauty. But it was like $3 eyeshadow palettes. Ah, yes. You know, like the fun fun nail polishes and I feel like I was so young and that was like my first memory of actually going in and like having a beauty experience in store and it was funny when I was thinking about it because I actually looked it up and they no longer exist anywhere (laughs) 
But I feel like that apart from like, you know, playing with my mum's makeup and doing things like that, that was probably one of my earliest memories of, of shopping beauty myself. So clearly an early affinity for beauty. What did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, I was um, definitely that kid who loved beauty, loved makeup. And when I was younger, I always loved fashion and it never wavered. So I like all through school, um, the entire time, I always thought I'd end up in fashion. So either fashion design, fashion buying, I was so like sort of set on that was where I was going to end up. Yeah. I understand that. And then you finish school and you realize fashion and beauty are inextricably linked and it just opens up so many doors. Yeah. It was so interesting. Actually, what happened when I went to um, leave school was that I had fashion design as my number one preference. So like Mm -hmm. in uni, and then I actually went to one of the open days and I realized how technical like the fashion design was like it wasn't exactly what I 100% thought it would be um so I really sort of started to reassess whether it was actually what I wanted to go and do like maybe I loved it but it wasn't necessarily going to translate into like me loving fashion design so I looked through all of the uni courses and then actually came across marketing and media and I was like I looked at the types of jobs that you could get after uni and I saw myself fitting the jobs quite well because I am an analytical brain at the same time. So I was like, okay, I think marketing is maybe good for me, but it was such a long shot. And I just put it at the top of my preferences, like I think two weeks before they were due. Um, And I got accepted like straight away into marketing and I didn't know if I was going to like it. And then I just loved it. So I was so lucky to just end up where I was meant to be. And marketing you stuck with. But I also read that at one point you did a makeup course. Was that while you were still deciding what you wanted to do? Was it while you were studying marketing? And was any sort of career in beauty part of the goal at that point? I don't think I had really thought about a long-term career in beauty, if I'm honest. I actually did that course in between. So I just finished my HSC and then I... Um, so it was in that break between school and uni. And then I just decided to do the makeup course because I thought it was a great skill to have and an easy way as well for me to earn money doing something that I really liked through uni. So, and I was always like obsessed with makeup and quite good at it because I was a dancer growing up. Oh, so it was, ah, yeah. (laughs) This all makes sense. Yeah. Everyone understands that. Like if you've done dancing, you know, like makeup's makeup's such a big part of that and Mm. you get very used to like doing your own makeup. And, um, that was sort of where it all started. And then, yeah, I decided to do a makeup artistry course, which was really great, but I can't say I, you know, went too far with that. It was just a sort of side uni gig. And I didn't realize that I was really going to end up in beauty. I think it's a great fit because I always loved it. But um, yeah, it wasn't necessarily my intention to have a long career in beauty. So you studied marketing and then prior to launching your own brand, you were working in marketing for a B2B medical devices company. Now, I understand that it was during this time that you got your hands on a lab sample and that's where your sort of deeper interest in the skin really took off. Can Mm. you share that story with us? Yes, absolutely. So I came out of uni and 
um, went, as you said, to work in the medical devices industry, which is not, this is where I say, like, it's not where I thought I would end up. Um, but it was a great learning experience and a, you know, sort of super corporate environment. And I learned so much doing that. Um, on the side, there's sort of like a whole personal story for me, um, having acne, like the entire time I was dancing growing up, like it was a long-term thing for me. So I started getting acne like very mildly when I was about 13. And then I went through the traditional route of going to my GP and exploring what options I had to treat it. I went through benzoyl peroxide creams. I went through antibiotics. Um, at 15, uh, my GP decided to put me on the pill to try and sort of fix it. It actually made it worse for me. Um, so then I was switched around to multiple different pills um, that had a huge impact on things like my mental health, my weight at the time, you know, yeah. as a dancer and, you know, being a teenager, it was really tough. Mm -hmm. um, and what ended up happening was they actually just put me back on the antibiotic that I was on in the first place um, whilst keeping me on the pill. So it was a very interesting time and I sort of stabilised on that combination up until I was 22. And so I was still um, at this medical device company, like I'm, I, you know, just living my life, but it was always something that I was dealing with. And I went for a skin cancer check and the dermatologist said to me, why are you on this antibiotic? Like you shouldn't be on that long term. I had been on it for seven years aye, and aye. yeah, she was like, you need to come off that. Like, it's just not good for you. And I was like, I don't want to though, because I was so scarred with my whole experience with acne and the pill. And it was the only thing that had seemed to keep my skin at bay. Like my skin, my skin wasn't even perfect, but I was just happy that it wasn't, you know, really bad. And she was like, no, I, I would really recommend coming off it and I can prescribe you something else. So I got put on a topical um, retinol, like a different cream. Um, and that was essentially what I was using when I came across this lab sample. So it wasn't really working that well for my skin. I was using it for about six months and I was really dry and just suffering still through acne. And by this point, you know, I'm working full time as an adult, basically. Um, so I just so happened working in this job, a close family connection of mine actually told me about this technology that was being used um, in the medical space, but it also had an application in skincare. And this research and development company had created this patented technology just so happened to create an, a treatment for acne. And he said, if you want to try it, I can get you something from the lab. And I read up on the entire patent and I looked through the clinical trials and I was like, I actually do really want to try this. Like it looks like an amazing product. And that was really just the seed of where it started. And when I tried it, I really loved it. And I, because I'd read up on the science and read the clinical papers, I just believed in the product so much. And I started then asking questions because, you know, then I'm in marketing, I'm a beauty consumer. I have a really good grasp on, you know, skincare and the whole industry and how you could potentially take something like this to market. And so I just started asking, you know, like what, what's happening with this product. And that's when I really saw an opportunity to actually go and pitch for it myself. So you coming at this from a marketing perspective and having a marketing background, I mean, certainly from my view as a consumer, that's played a pretty major role in the success of your brand. I would love to know if there were any lessons that you picked up in that particular marketing role, obviously very different to what you're doing now, but anything mm. from that time that you find you're still applying to your work now? 
Yeah, I think it was a very uh, corporate commercial environment and that taught me a lot. So I would say if there's anything from that environment that I learned is that marketing is not this thing that sits in silo with the business. It's not it's not something that just operates, you know, at the front end and looks pretty and is shiny. It's actually, it needs to tangibly work in with the business model. And it it is essentially essentially the strategy of the company commercially. You know, it's it needs to support the business model. There's a lot of um, sort of more analytical parts to marketing that are really important. And I think I learned the foundation of that really, really well in my previous job. And then I have really combined that with the fact that I always knew I needed to build a very strong brand and a very emotive brand. And I just leveraged my personal experiences as well to be able to do that. So you've come across the formula, you've seen real results in your skin. At what point did you start thinking I could turn this into a business? Was there a specific moment that that kind of light bulb went off? So I started talking to um, my family about it and my mum in particular, um, who is actually very analytical. She's an accountant by trade and I was just, you know, brainstorming. And I think when a typical marketer, when I get an idea, like I just want to run with it. So it didn't take me long to be like, okay, I think I can do this. It was basically overnight that I was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's happening. And I just wrote her into it actually (laughs) poor thing (laughs) and she agreed that you know I I said like I know I need someone on ops and finance and you know we could look at the market opportunity together so we actually just got together crunched the numbers looked at the market opportunity looked at what percentage market share we thought we could take looked at how much we thought it was going to cost us to set up like basically looked at the nuts and bolts of what setting setting up a company would look like and neither of us had ever done this something like this before so we were very great and probably a bit naive but I always say that like that's the best thing if you're naive you do it and if you're not naive then you just wouldn't do it in the first place Mm -hmm. um so yeah we basically just got together you know looked at the nuts and bolts said we can do this we could raise that money um and then essentially went and pitched for the product which really um you know I basically created the concept for TBH within about a week Um, like just after work, I'd go home, I'd work like after work till 10 PM, I'd like nut it out, nut out a launch strategy, nut out the brand. And I remember just like sitting there, I knew I wanted it to be some acronym and like a play on words. And I, you know, would sit at the dining table and just have all of these sheets of paper and words written out everywhere. And, um, yeah. And came up with the concept and that that's when we had enough to go and pitch. I can't imagine it would have been a hard sell to your mother as well because aside from just the logistics of it, she's got a daughter who has been <laughs> on every single medication for the I mean, the entirety of her adult life who has finally come to her and said, I found something that actually works for my skin. Like that would be the greatest thing ever. Oh, absolutely. And if there's anyone that witnessed what I went through firsthand, it was her. Like she took me to all those appointments. She was the one, you know, taking me to school in tears because I didn't want to go because my skin was so Mm. bad and all of that stuff. So she's 100% the next person that's, you know, witnessed everything I've gone through and been there with me through the whole thing. So absolutely. So what does the pitching and I guess the licensing process entail? You've obviously come up with the concept, but then (laughs) where do you go from there? This is something we've not covered on the podcast yeah because it's an interesting structure that I think a lot of people probably wouldn't necessarily go down that route but yeah because we're dealing with a patented technology and a medical distribution you know um sort of 
agreement here. Um, we essentially went and pitched for it, um, basically won the rights or, you know, agreed on terms in terms of um, how we could use that formula. And from there, really, I mean, that's like a bunch of legal paperwork, um, but then we have a formula. We still have to create a brand. We still have to create basically everything around that. So really it was just a matter of creating the brand, making sure we could bring in complementary products as well, either like to launch or later down the line. Um, and then, you know, working with manufacturers and finding the right suppliers and getting samples of things, even with things like packaging and shipper boxes, you know, setting up a website and doing all that. That's sort of like what came after, um, you know, just getting, just getting the formula in hand. So how did you go about working through that process? Usually I'll ask founders how they, you know, found a manufacturer and so forth. But for you, you had the formula and then it's a matter of packaging that up, turning it into a physical brand. So where did you start? We started with the branding. So Mm -hmm. we had our concept from that pitching meeting. We actually then met with a creative agency who they took that from basically turned into a visual design that we could use. So once we had finalized the branding, that was like step one. And then we started working sort of mum took the um, supplier sort of stuff. So she was then taking the design of the packaging and working with manufacturers and suppliers, getting different samples and working out, you know, who we could use in terms of tube manufacturing, because we had to bring that in to then bring that to the manufacturer in Australia who could then manufacture on the production line. We owned the manufacturing relationships Um So it didn't come from our supplier straight in hand, if that makes sense. It's not like off the shelf sort of thing. It's like you get the formula, but you do everything else. Mm. So then um, we were working with a manufacturer who have been our manufacturer now on every single one of our products. We adore them. Um, And yeah, and then I was on the marketing side of things. So it was all website contents. We actually got samples so that we could start trialing people before we launched so that we had a bank of like before and afters and testimonials because we knew that was going to be really important launching this type of product on e-com is like not easy so yeah that was basically where we started and then we had six months we had to be launched in market that was the agreement six months yes yeah see I had read that you launched within six months but I thought that was just because you happened to get it done I didn't realize that was (laughs) the agreement yeah well it was important we got it in market pretty quickly wow okay so In as much or as little detail as you wish and can share, what is it about this particular patented product that was so different from everything else on the market? Yeah, so the patented formula, it's a biofilm technology. So it is quite technical because this same technology is actually applied across hospital and healthcare. So it's used in used in like surgical washouts. So when you get a joint replacement, they leave it in there to then like make sure that no infection occurs at the site or things like that. But basically biofilms exist everywhere. So biofilms are colonies of bacteria that formed together via a substance called an EPS, which is like a slimy glue-like substance. That EPS layer is really hard to break through. So it's actually completely novel for this technology to be able to break through biofilms protective layer and and target bacteria within. So 90% of bacteria 
lives in biofilm. 10% of bacteria is free floating. So bacteria is a big problem when it comes to something like acne. We know that. So if you're targeting, you know, with a topical treatment bacteria on your skin and you can't break through that biofilm layer, you're targeting 10% of the bacteria on your skin. Um, so this technology is able to, they it breaks through the ionic bonds that hold the biofilm EPS together. And then once it's in there, it's able to then get to the bacteria within. So that's actually what makes the product novel and no other, and that's why it's patented because mm. essentially no other product on the market is able to do that. You mentioned during the process of the branding that you knew it wanted to be an acronym. So TBH stands for the biofilm hack, Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah, because, yeah, that describes the method of action of the hero product. Amazing. Yeah. So, so six months, which is just incredible. You launched in March 2020. I'm always interested in brands that launch with a, you know, singular skew or like the one Mm -hmm. hero product because there's, there's kind of two sides to it. On one hand, there's the idea of doing one thing and doing it really well. But then the risk is if that product doesn't sell, then that's your entire business gone. Can you tell me about the decision to launch the brand in that way? And did that risk scare you at all? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, again, I was really green when I launched. So it's funny, like to look back on it in hindsight, I think because the product was clinically trialed, we knew that the results were really strong and that it was a differentiated product in market. It was one that we could could back ourselves on pretty well. It was more about, can we cut through everything else going on in skincare at the moment and make sure that we get this product into the hands of the right people? So I think launching with the one product it didn't really cross our minds that that was going to be too much of an issue. I think the main thing that crossed my mind was that I wanted to make sure that it was going to work on people's skin. And when people are using such an array of different products, I was just concerned that maybe they wouldn't, you know, it would be like a user error, like not using it in the right fashion because it is just like this one single skew. So I think when we launched, we actually launched with a gentle cleanser that was like super simple just because I knew that's not going to offend anyone's skin with this product. Like I trialed it and was happy with it. And then we launched with actually a cleansing brush to make sure people were cleaning their skin properly. And that was also um, a marketing play for us because I knew that a $55 product, which is our acne cream, that's a very hard thing basket-wise like basket size wise to sell in e-com. So if your basket size is only $55, then you have basically quite a low budget to acquire customers with. And in a skincare environment that's very saturated, that's not an easy thing to do. So we did bring in um, that cleansing device and the other cleanser to at the same time increase the basket size. So we bundled the products um, in three different tiers. Also another marketing sort of thing Mm. where you give people three price options. That's quite important. So people can perceive like the smaller size, the medium size and the large size people typically go middle because it's like the most perceived value for money. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that was basically just, we launched with the three SKUs and then decided to see how it went. And we knew we focused all of our efforts on that acne cream um, because we knew that that was the hero product. God, this is 
truly fascinating. I know that you have spoken in past interviews about how the brand had a good organic launch. I think it's reported that you hit about 10K sales in the first month, but it wasn't until you were able to get the product into the hands of media and influencers that things really took off. Now, the influencer market is a very saturated one. So how did you go about navigating it? How did you determine who would be worth partnering with, especially coming from that kind of more medical, almost hospital background? Yeah, I had no experience in influence marketing at all, like none. So I was just doing my best to reach out to managers of, you know, talent that I thought would be worth working with. But it really came down to I was just always on social media and luckily as well, I'm the consumer. So I sort of understand like the environment and who I would shop from. And that's actually what dictated a lot of the time who I chose to work with. Um, But really at the end of the day, it came down to the fact that I needed to see someone suffering with acne a lot of the time, either either suffering with the condition or with enough knowledge to talk to the condition in a very authentic way and understand our product offering. Because you can either understand it from the science-backed perspective or you can understand it from the results Mm -hmm. that you get yourself personally. So as long as someone was able to genuinely understand that and then communicate that, then that would be someone I'd want to work with. So really it was a case of, and it's hard because a lot of influencers aren't really showing, I'm having a breakout today. I mean, I think these days, you know, even in the last two years, there's more of that. Mm. But when we were launching, like it, I don't think that there was a lot of that. Um, So Abby Chatfield was one who she had come off the bachelor and she was so unfiltered with the fact that she was breaking out and every single story of hers you saw she never had a filter on she never had makeup on it was always her real skin and i saw her using these different skincare products on her page and i was like she has to try tbh but you know we're a brand new brand like completely new i was such a long shot and honestly i think we were really lucky in that i was able to contact her manager and get her products but it was a while actually before she actually decided to try the product Mm. um and i was always very clear on we're not going to work with you unless someone tries it and they like it and they see results and there's a minimum like three-week trial period so Um, I remember hounding him over email being like, I've seen her using X, Y, and Z. You need to trust me. She just has to pick up this cream and put it on her face and, you know, she'll love it and explained a bit about the science. And she did that and she got really good results. And that's when we really like, yeah, we we secured a partnership with Abby and and that changed everything for us. It really did because within... I think 18 months it was reported that the brand had hit close to a million dollars in sales. It had gone legitimately viral, thanks largely to Abby, but also what you've touched on, the fact that it wasn't just beautiful girls posting a photo of the acne cream with the caption like, love this product. It was There was substance to it. How did that level of attention change things for you and for the business? Oh, it's a good question. I think we... We were hoping for that. And I think when we set up this business, we didn't do it half-assed in a way. And and it's a scary way to do things. It's not necessarily the way I would recommend people do it, but we, you know, committed ourselves to uh, 5,000 units, like from the get-go. We were sort of not, I wouldn't say we were ready, but we had enough stock to at least sustain those sales because those were the types of sales we were aiming to achieve. And 
I think it was actually quite a learning curve on the logistics side of things because, um, you know, mum who, again, she's an accountant by trade, but she'd never worked in this space. She was having to learn what types of lead times, you know, she was dealing with and when she was having to reorder and do things like stock take. And we were operating out of a home. So it was basically just a bit of a whirlwind, like the whole time. And we were in lockdowns as well. So every lockdown I would be having to go and pack orders and send them out at, from her place because it was all at her house. So, yeah, it was basically just a lot of packing and, um, you know, just, I guess, doing our best on the fly as, as well as we could. I was going to ask how you coped from sort of a supply and demand perspective. At no point, though, when I'm writing these questions and like you launched in March 2020 at no point did it cross my mind that oh that's also when lockdown started so that would have presented a whole other array of challenges in and of itself yeah I actually think that it was quite a good way for us to launch because we Mm -hmm. had people who were suffering really badly during that time with breakouts masks and you know people working in hospitals we ended up with a huge customer base of nurses and doctors who were working in PPE for so many hours Mm -hmm. straight so I I do think in a way that it was we didn't know it at the time we had no idea how that was going to impact us but I actually do think in a way it almost helped us get that get the brand off off the ground The other thing about the launch that you have touched on, but I think it's worth spending a bit more time on, despite it being very much the norm now, it's the decision to launch digitally because texture was once a really key element when it came to sales within that beauty space. Mm. So the decision to launch direct to consumers, did that present any other challenges in the realm of, I guess, conversion? Yeah, I think we had to be very sure that we had enough like sort of testimonial content to support the conversions for the brand. So reviews before and afters became really important. And we were lucky because I think we just, with the brand as well, we really spoke to such a niche segment that we got really strong engagement quite quickly. And even though we had a small base of followers and customers, they were ones that really were so engaged and providing us with so much amazing content. And I also think that we were aware that we had to launch with some sort of a guarantee on the product. So we still to this day offer a 60 day guarantee. If you, yeah, if you use the products and you don't see results, you get refunded. I still refund people to this day. So you know, we know acne is not a one size fits all solution. And if you're going to be online and you can't provide that face to face, or like you said, that texture in store or any of that other thing, any of that other stuff, I think that you really have to be ready to provide a really amazing level of customer service online. You've since launched pimple patches. You've got two cleansers, a moisturizer, a sunscreen. What came next after acne hack and what did that timeline look like? So after the acne hat cream, we actually launched another cleanser, which is our antibacterial cleanser. We worked with the medical supplier on a cleanser to put that technology into a cleanser as well as a cream. So that was the first thing. And we were already working on that when we launched. So it was a matter of, um, you know, that take, that stuff takes time, especially when it's with a patented technology like that. So once that was ready, we launched that in October of um, 2020. And then in November 2020, we also launched the SPF, which we knew was a really big bugbear for our customers. So people who have breakouts hate using sunscreen because sunscreen typically breaks them out or they're oily and it makes them super greasy. So we just went looking for an SPF that, could 
fit this customer group and not break them out and was, you know, wouldn't clog their pores. And we knew that it was a big category as well. And our customers had told us that that was the next product that they wanted to see. So that's why we launched that. And really that that's pretty much how our product development looks is we go out to the customers and ask them what they want to see next. And we get a pretty good idea of the types of products that that they're missing. And then I suppose, again, with the whole brand coming about based on you and your skin, you're probably thinking, okay, what have I been missing for all of this time? Yeah, it's actually kind of amazing because (laughs) I just get to create all the products that I was in need of. And, you know, there'll be, yeah, just little things where there's a product on the market, but I can't find one that doesn't have oil, like that, you know, all of them have oil in them. And I, I tend to avoid oils being someone that's breakout prone and, Yeah, it's just, it's quite interesting because then I get to as well test all of the products. And I think it's a really important part in, I always say this, you can have amazing science and amazing chemists behind a product, but unless it translates into how an end consumer wants to use things in the entirety of their skincare routine, then it's, it's not going to work for them. So I even think, you know, that's really important, even with our acne hat cream that, you know, we have the right cleansers or we have the right moisturizers and the right serums to support that product. Um, yeah. Your most recent launch is the rebound serum with the divine Hannah English. How did that product development process work for you how does that process differ when you bring in a collaborator yeah Hannah actually just became part of the team so it was really like from very early on so we actually we were working with Hannah on the moisturizer that we have now so Mm -hmm. um again like I said we get people to trial things or I get feedback so Hannah was one of the people I went to for feedback on that moisturizer in the very early stages of it being developed but we had sort of already gotten to a formula with it um so she was actually working with us on that and and it came up very organically in her saying look I've I've actually gotten all this feedback from my followers on you know, this product that's missing in the market, it's really important for people that are breakout prone as well. And we started chatting about it and I was like, that's an amazing product idea. Let's do it and let's do it together. So essentially Hannah came in from get go, like from initial concept stage, um, which I love because it wasn't like, oh, let's put Hannah's name on the bottle sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like she was a part of the team. And I remember her excitement when we got to team her up with our chemistry team. And I basically sat back on the call and they did all the talking and it was Hannah really, yeah, took so much ownership with that formula as she should, because she's got such an amazing brain. And I was really just the sense checkpoint on, you know, is this going to work for our customer group? And then the role sort of reversed when it came to product packaging and things like that. So then Hannah would be more sitting in and she loved also getting in on that whole experience and seeing, you know, really the creation of something from nothing to then a produced bottle in your hand. I think she absolutely loved that. And it was great having her, you know, as a part of all of that. She, so yeah, basically she was just in the team for that period of time. It really genuinely does come across and I've spoken on this show before about my um my feelings towards say influencers and celebrities that just waltz in and slap their name on something (laughs) that already exists so yeah nice to hear about the behind the scenes now you have been a part of the beauty industry since 2014 if research serves over that time what have been some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty industry oh I think um 
sun, I would say like number one SPF, like would be the number one change that I have seen significantly um, over the last two years. So I think that's amazing. People are, you know, SPFs almost become beauty, which is so good. Um, So I would say that's definitely one of the biggest changes that I've seen. But I think as well, customers are just so informed. They're so much more informed than they were, you know, previously and they're doing their research and it's things like transparency on ingredients and um, people want the education on ingredients before they buy products. And I think that customers are just becoming wiser and wiser, which is great. And I think it's, you know, great to empower the customer with all of the right knowledge that they can make the right decision for their skin. Um, And I would say, yeah, that's really across the entire beauty industry is that people are, you know, more informed and doing their own research. So, yeah. And what changes do you think we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the next few years? I think that um, really it is about transparency of ingredients so it's it's just transparency across the board i think customers are very um clued in to when something is a white label product that's pulled off the shelf that has a pretty marketing label and doesn't do much else i think we're becoming wiser and wiser you know i'm a customer as well so um i think definitely there's going to be i would hope as well some more transparency around you know the whole production of beauty like where it's from you know what the development process was like what ingredients are used why they're used like what they do I think that um I think that beauty brands should lean into that definitely Rachel my final question what is next for TBH skincare so I think that we really I think we've in the last year, especially really aggressively expanded the product range. And I think that that's amazing. And we've delivered a lot that the customers really wanted to see from us. I think we're going to settle a bit on that. And Mm -hmm. there are products in the pipeline, but I think the rate at which we bring them out is maybe going to be a bit slower. And I think that um, we'd really love to see ourselves established in store. So as you said, like that in-store shopping experience, it is really important. And as a new business, we were remaining very lean on purpose. You know, e-commerce is great because it's low overheads and we could manage all of our stock ourselves. But I think, you know, getting into store and actually expanding the scale at which we can get this product into people's hands is really important to us. So making sure that everyone knows about it and has access to it is, um, you know, very high on our priority list. And we're also looking at, you know, potential to expand into international markets as well. So, Mm. yeah, I think we'll hopefully grow and just see so many more people's skin change because it's really the best thing about what we do is that we get all of this feedback from customers saying like you changed my life because you cleared my skin and I know that better than anyone else. So I just, just want to do more of that really. (laughs) We just want to stick to, yeah, what we came here to do. and, And that's exactly that. That was Rachel Tyers, co-founder of TBH Skincare, which you can find on Instagram at TBH Skincare underscore. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.